All right, so we are recording, and I'm going to get us started by reading your bio. So Thorben is an independent consultant, international speaker, and trainer specialized in solving Java persistence problems with JPA Hibernate and Spring Data JPA. He's also the author of Amazon's best-selling book, Hibernate Tips, More Than 70 Solutions to Common Hibernate Problems. Thorben has been working with Java and Java EE for 20 years and was a member of the CDI 2.0 expert group, JSR365. Uh, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sure. Um, so, I guess from a um, uh, you know kicking things off perspective, can you just like other than the bio I just read, walk us <laughs> through your background in a little bit more detail? Yeah. So I started about a little bit more than twenty years ago as as a student um, in a software development company and did the typical company career, um, became a normal developer, took up some more responsibilities there, um, like uh, tech lead for for a component, uh, managing projects, um, these kind of things. Um, then I switched companies and basically did the same there um, until the point where I got well, a combination of, of the board of doing all the things over and over again and then frustrated about how life in companies sometimes just is and um, decided, okay, what, what's the next what's the next step? Um, do I just switch companies again or do I try something else? And um, at that point, I was already blogging for a little bit more than a year and decided, okay, um, that is fun. Um, I also had my first uh, talk at a conference and enjoyed that as well and thought, well, other people are making money out of this um, and uh, doing this as their full-time job, and I enjoy doing it. Why not give it a try? Um, and did both, so kept my job and did the, the whole blogging and speaking part for about one and a half years until I finally quit my day job, and since then I'm working as a freelance consultant, trainer, author um, for well, mostly Java persistence related topics. Um, yeah, now I have an Amazon best-selling book. You can see it there. Um, okay. have um, a few online courses that are now part of a membership on my site. Um, and I'm doing about a 50-50 split between working with companies as a coaching consultant and doing some, some in-house events and doing all the online stuff. And yeah, been doing this since 2000, end of 2016 full time. Um, so I want to look at things somewhat through the lens. I'll ask some questions through the lens of, of folks in our audience, in our community. The community is loosely oriented around, I guess I'll call it the hustle. Um, folks that maybe have full-time jobs and are interested in going independent or who are newly independent, but the common thread being that interest in, in, in entrepreneurial ambitions, whether as a side or full-time hustle. So um, I'm going to focus some of the questions on the aspects of what you've done that probably are most resonant with that group. So for instance, you had mentioned being bored. Had you always been interested in entrepreneurial um adventures, so to speak, or did that arise out of like dissatisfaction with a, a salary job? Like, um, can you take me through that decision a little bit more? Yeah. Um, 
But I was always interested in how businesses work. Um, uh, studied business information science, um, had a few business classes at school, and I was always interested in that stuff. And then when, when it was time to, to get a job, I never thought about going independent. Um, that was just not a thing in my family. Um, and in the beginning, I was happy with the, with the whole thing, being an employee, writing code, and, and doing stuff that, that was technically interesting. But um, it didn't take long until I took up more responsibility and basically worked on some entrepreneurial things within a company. So I was still an employee. I still had managers to report to, but um, yeah, there there are always some some responsibilities or roles within bigger companies um, where you have freedom to some extent and where you have responsibility for projects and customers. And I was always interested in that, but never wanted to do that full time. I, I did that full time for about a year in one company and was really unhappy about it in the end um, because I was missing all the technical parts. But um, yeah, I was always interested in in these kind of things. Hmm. But I also knew I wanted to do a mix. Um, I don't don't want to be a full time manager or right now the CEO of, of a company who's just managing a team. I always wanted to be involved in the in the technical things. Interesting. I imagine that's something that um, it's something that I've heard a lot from, you know, either my readership over the years or people in the community being, um, I'll miss the tech, you know, how do you blend those things? So that's kind of interesting. When you had, you you mentioned briefly, like uh, examples of entrepreneurial concerns within a company that interested you or things that you worked on, like, do you have some examples off the top? I'm just thinking maybe somebody listening is working for a company and interested in eventually doing their own thing. Like they might wonder what could I do that would like lay the groundwork for that? So what were some of those things? If you remember, yeah. Um, well, the most common examples are probably um, managing projects and customers. So being responsible for the, um, so I worked in companies where we wrote software for um, other businesses. Um, And there you quite often have um, a role where you interact with the customer, you need to figure out what does the customer need, how does that fit um, to into the, the product offering or service offering of the company you're currently working on. Um, and how do you create a fit between these two? Mm-hmm. And then how do you communicate it, that to uh, your customer, to your manager? Um, I also had um, some responsibilities for um, the uh, for the team. So I wasn't their, their manager, but um, I had to um, make sure that everyone was working on the right tasks and the project was in track and these kind of things. Um, and there you have quite a few things that you also um, have when you go independent. Um, sure, you then remove the uh, the manager you're reporting to, um, which actually means that all the things and responsibilities that first you, you could hand off to someone else are now on your desk, um, which is good and bad. <laughs> Depends on what <laughs> you need to do. Um, but most often it's it's good um so yeah it's 
going, going independent there was basically continuing what to some extent I was already doing and um, making sure that I was responsible for everything and there was that I was able to call the shots, which is great if there are things you just don't want to do because now I'm in the position to tell the potential customer, look, I'm not doing this kind of stuff. Um, I'm not interested in that project. We can work together in, in these forms, but, but not like this. Um, which is great um, because well, as an employee, you have a manager who does that. And most often that manager is more interested in the company than in the kind of work you as an employee want to do. That's at least my experience with my managers. Um, and now as an independent uh, consultant and trainer, as long as um, the, the numbers add up, I can just, pass on projects and decide, okay, no, that's that's not the stuff that I want to spend um, the next several weeks on, um, which is which is great most of the time. <laughs> so I, um, I think what you were saying about, like, taking in customer requirements and feedback just reminded me of early in my career um, travels where I would go on customer sites and help with installations of the software I was responsible for at the time. And... Yeah, I could echo that too, that like probably being involved in some capacity in sales, like as a sales engineer for a time or, you know, getting customer feedback, working with customers. Those strike me as great examples of kind of more entrepreneurial things you could do to lay the groundwork um, versus just kind of being insulated and, and writing software, delivering features, et cetera. So I think that's yeah. it. Um, it always depends on the size of company where you're working. Um, I yeah. was working at, at a small company um so there i had a lot of freedom and um there there were not a lot of other people who could take over that responsibility so i was able to um dip into a lot of different things and um yeah also had to just take over a few responsibilities that in the beginning i was comfortable with which was a great learning experience and uh, which is now really beneficial because most of these things I wasn't comfortable with um, six or seven years ago um, have now become a regular part of the being an independent uh, consultant. I think that's a great point. I mean, like I might crystallize that and say it is advice to anyone who is thinking of going independent. Like you might consider leaving your job at a Fortune 500 working for a small company where you can wear more hats. Um, yep. That didn't directly occur to me, but that's an excellent point. Um, so. There was, you said, a year and a half where um, you were doing both, and I, I imagine burning the candle at both ends, working yeah. a full-time job, and then also growing your business. What was the calculations like to know when to go independent? Because I know there are people um, listening, people in the community that will watch this later, that wrestle with that. Like, I have a thing going on the side. How do I make a go of this? Maybe they're struggling and thinking, like, I can never get this business to the point where it backfills my income, like how do I bridge that gap? So I'm just, in that year and a half, like how did you set out and know when to make the jump? Um, well, that's a good question. That was a rather spontaneous decision. So at some point in 2015, I started to work on online courses and do my first paid speaking gigs. And that was just on the side. Um, 
and it was was fun and yet it took quite some time um and then most of my free time um but um it wasn't it wasn't that much time that i wasn't able to sustain both things uh being employed and doing the things on the side um but my my side business was growing and took up more and more time so i reduced my day job to four days a week uh, which really helped for for several months mm. um and i made some income come there and we were in the comfortable position that um my day job still made enough to pay all the bills so everything that i made on the side was was extra um and we put most of that aside so at the point where i was again working about 70 hours a week um combined my uh combined with the employment and my side gig um my wife and i at some point said okay that's that has has to stop um having a family a small kid working 70 hours a week um that's something that you can do for a while but not for years sure. um and um then but to some extent my, my manager pushed me to the point where we had to make a decision because i asked if i could reduce my day job to three days a week and they didn't agree so i was in the situation that i understood that i could couldn't keep doing the stuff that i was doing and um there the only way out was to either reduce the um the side gig or to leave the day job um and then um i remember i had the conversation with my manager on a friday um and he said no you you need to keep working four days uh, each week um and then yeah we uh sat down on, on saturday my wife and i calculated our spendings uh had a look at our savings um and, and make, made some calculations and recognized okay we have uh, savings for for more than a year without any income and i already had some income from the side gig mm -hmm. and um there we decided okay let's let's just give it a try in worst case i go back to some other employment in nine to twelve months um which was an easy decision because at that point i had already made the decision that um, i would either go independent or start looking for a different employment um, because I was just looking for something new, hmm. um, but yeah, with the with the savings um, and and some income uh, from the side gig, it was uh, no, it was it wasn't a comfortable decision. It was still a, a tough decision, but sure. um, it was something that um, seemed to make sense. And um, yeah, we, we just decided to take the risk. I like the framework money. there. I mean. I, um for anyone listening watching uh i like the idea of here's how much runway we have and the worst case scenario analysis so like let's say that this goes absolutely nowhere i can survive for this amount of time and then here's what i'll do at that time like the failure criteria the success criteria in the runway i think is great like um the thing i'd weigh in and say from my own experience going independent is like if you're an employee there's no moment when it's just comfortable and you're like oh yeah no problem i'll just switch to be it's always going to be terrifying but if you've laid out those scenarios i think it you know is less terrifying than it otherwise yeah. might be um one thing it's, i wanted to ask about real quick uh you mentioned kind of just 
in passing, like, well, I negotiated down to four days a week. Is that common in Germany? Because I think a lot of people listening no. would be like, what, what is this magic you speak of? How did you, how did you <laughs> negotiate one less day? <laughs> how um, did that go? It, that's not common. Um, sure, you find part-time jobs here, but usually not in software development and definitely not in the role that I had. Um, but where they knew that I was was already doing these uh, things on the side, and um, I, at, at some point I just set up an, a meeting with my manager and, and asked, um, would that work for you? How would something like that look like? Um, and I did that um, when we also... But, once a year, I made an appointment with my manager to talk about my salary. And uh, I combined these these two things. And in the end, we agreed on, okay, I'm not getting an, uh, any salary increase. Um, we mm. are reducing the uh, salary to 80%. And then I'm just working 80% per, per year, uh, per week, um, which which was okay. I mean, sure, uh, the, the goal is, always for these meetings to get more money um but um in the end i was happy with the with the situation because it was the next step on being able to go independent um and i would recommend this approach to to everyone who wants to go independent start with building your brand and working on the site um you need to check with your with your employer and the contract that you sign and uh, your your local laws. Um, in most countries, I think you have to announce it to your employer. In Germany, you at least have to, and um, they need to allow that, um, which which they did. Um, and then, um, yeah, do both things for a while, and then try to gradually shift from being employed to being independent. So if I could summarize a few bullets, I think, um, key lessons, if you want to go down to a four-day-a-week arrangement or whatever it may be. One, I think this was left unsaid, but I'm guessing it was true that you had some leverage there. Your employer valued you, didn't want to lose you. Number two, um, you won't know until you ask, and you'd be surprised what might happen when you ask. And then number three, be prepared with concessions, not just I want to work less then that's it. Like I'm willing to take less salary. I'm willing to forgo this increase or, you know, whatever the case may be that you had to offer them something in exchange, some consideration. Yeah, definitely. Um, and do some calculations in advance. So I think in most countries, taxes increase depending on how much money you earn. So taking a cut in your salary quite often isn't as bad as it looks in the beginning. Mm. Um, because after taxes, I had a little bit more than 80% uh, of the, the previous income. Um, and right, replacing 20% of the income with the side gig is much easier than going full-time and then having to replace the, the entire salary. And um, it really helps to build up some, um, some savings to um, then do the switch. And that that helps a lot if you then need to talk with first potential customers when you are independent, mm. um, because having money in the bank allows you to um, be way more um, 
and not really aggressive, but really request more in your uh, negotiations with, with the customer and maybe walk away from a client that just isn't a good fit. Um, yeah. That, that doesn't work if you're desperately looking for money. Um, so switching gears a little bit, um, persistence in the Java world is the niche you settled into. I know one thing that comes up over and over again in the community, in our Slack, in my readership, uh, how do you go about picking a niche um, is something a lot of people wonder about. So I'm kind of twofold curious, like how did you arrive at the niche that you have and what recommendations would you have for people who are looking to kind of find their place? Yeah. Um, so my main recommendation would be pick something that interests you because you will spend a lot of time on it without getting any rewards in the beginning, especially if you try to build something online using blogging or YouTube or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I got into this niche because at some point I decided to start a blog basically as a notepad for myself. Um, I knew we had uh, a wiki in, um, uh, in the company I was working at, but basically nobody was reading it and it was difficult to access from the outside. So I thought, well, then just let, let, it, uh, let me write it somewhere. Um, I got a free blog, um, wrote a few articles, and then recognized, okay, I'm not the only one who's interested in this. Um, and the the blog got some traction, which meant I, I had 20 to 30 readers on a new blog post that didn't, didn't mess <laughs> up the, um, the tweets and um, the uh, sharing the article on, on DZone and stuff like that. Um, so... Yeah, but having 20 or 30 readers is a lot if you start with zero. Yeah. <laughs> or if you maybe have two coworkers who take a look at the new article <laughs> um, because you mentioned it in the copy corner. I'm um, just laughing because I can relate, you know, yeah. early days of blogging. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, lo it looks quite different now. Um, but um, especially getting started with a blog is, is difficult because well, if you have two articles on the blog and nobody's reading it, Google doesn't like you. Google likes popular stuff. And um, a site with two articles and then 10 readers isn't popular. So ranking in Google with such a site is, is difficult, which is why I said pick something that interests you. Um, because for the first several blog posts, nobody except you and maybe a few other um Co-workers where we really care about that stuff. If you don't uh, syndicate it on a, on a YouTube platform, but I'm sure that um, most people in your community already went through these things and recognize how hard it can be in the beginning to to get an audience. At some point, you get traction if you write about interesting stuff and if, if you produce good material. Um, and yeah, so in the beginning, I wrote about a few Java persistence topics because there was a new version of the JPA spec, and I just was interested in, in what had changed and how these things worked. So I tried it out. I wrote an article about it and shared it on social media and Gizon and a few other places. And yeah, it got some got some readers uh, from there, and um, somehow 
stick to that topic. I mean, I was always working in the Java backend um, niche since yeah, since the beginning, um, and it just felt felt natural to write about that. And um, yeah, then I was asked to to speak at a conference about that specific topic, and it somehow grew into um, into more. I started to become the, the Java persistence guy here in Germany. Um, and I quickly recognized how beneficial it is to have a really narrow niche and be known for one specific topic mm. because it's way easier to, to know a lot about a small topic. And from a branding perspective, it's much easier because um, everyone knows if they have a question about this, you are the guy to ask. Um, which is much e uh, easier from a branding perspective, in my experience, than being a jack of all trades and just know a lot about Java or JavaScript or whatever. Because it's there's just so much that there will always be someone who can provide the same material or maybe has more knowledge on a tiny little detail. Um, and if you just specialize in one niche, everyone expects that you are the person who, who knows all that stuff. So it sounds kind of organic, but like you were yeah. responding to the market. So I started talking about this topic. I got some traction following. I talked about it more, invited to speak at a conference. The audience grew. And at some point, um, you determined you'd be able to make a living in this vein. Did you... Um, like, how did you specifically arrive at creating training video courses? Like, why that? Or how did you get to do that? Yeah. Was it just um, a natural outgrowth from blogging and talking? Yeah. Um, so it started with with a phone call that, that I got out of nowhere from um, someone who I know, knew from, from a conference. So at that point, I was... Uh, part of the program committee of uh, um, one of the bigger conferences here in Germany. Um, and I got in there by networking and a bit of luck. And um, then another guy who was also on the program committee called me out of nowhere and asked, um, hey, would you be willing to give a talk about your topic at my conference? And um, we pay you for that, and it's a half-day workshop. And to be honest, at that point, I had nothing. I had a bunch of blog posts. Um, and I just said, yeah, sure. Uh, I I do a workshop, of course. Um, <laughs> and then he asked for uh, for an abstract, and I got a little bit nervous because I had nothing. So that evening, I, I sent out an, an, I wrote an abstract, sent it out, and got accepted for the conference and got more questions about that uh, that workshop and it somehow felt natural to create an online course on that uh, because I saw that in other niches people were making money with um, with online courses and I was thinking about leaving my my day job and doing something independent and um, yeah in that circumstances having a digital product that's just sitting there and um, that, that doesn't require a lot of immediate work because you have done all the work up front mm -hmm. um, is, is a nice thing and it makes switching to um, 
to being self-employed much easier. Um, speaking of which, like, so you, you've gone off on your own. Um, you're creating training courses after making the decision to be full-time independent. Like, what was your day-to-day life like in the early days of the business? So I'm trying to think of people who might be about to do this and they're wondering what it's like. Did you work more? Did you work less? You know, what, what was day-to-day like? After quitting the day job, mm-hmm. um, on average, I worked less than before. Um, but less means less than the 70 plus hours that I worked while I was doing both. Sure. Um, so my working less was still somewhere 50, 60 plus hours a week. Uh, so it was, it was basically still a seven day week, just not as crazy as it was before. Um, and it took me quite a while to reduce that to, let's, let's call it normal working hours. Um, so that was something that I did at the end of 2019. I said, okay, um, it's nice to not do both um, as I was before, but I'm still working 50 hours a week. That, that just doesn't work. Um, and um, then started to, to introduce weekends and um, had a closer look at the hours that I was working. Um, but yeah, in the beginning, I was still working a lot less than when I was doing um, my day job and the side gig, but, but still a lot of hours, more than the typical um, employee would work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is that was because there were there were a lot of things and had to take care of. Um, when you go independent, you get all the admin stuff uh, that you need to do, um, marketing, the blog. Um, I was still working on my um, my next uh, online course. Um, I tried to get clients uh, with whom I was able to work, and um, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of stuff. Um, in in the beginning, um, it gets better if you make enough to to hire someone for for some tasks. Was um, part of that, um, was part of the initial push. I mean, it sounds like a number of years, but like working all those extra hours above what an employee would work. Was there part of that that was kind of the excitement of the venture and? Uh, like, was it a grinder where you're like super enthusiastic? Like, I'm I'm going to do this. I'm going to make it work. Um, a little bit of both. Um, it was mostly an enjoyable thing, um, and then I loved doing that. Um, but depending on how many hours per work, uh, week you work, um, at least in my experience, everything at some point becomes a grind, um, and. Um, yeah, that's something that I learned. Um, when it becomes a grind, um, you need to pay attention to it um, because that is something you can't do endlessly. Um, so, yeah, it, w- it was a mix um, in the beginning. But I think it was more fun than a grind. It took a while until it became really exhausting and annoying. <laughs> um, so. With that evolution, like over the years, um, have you changed your offering? So if I'm not mistaken, when you started out, I don't know how much other stuff you were doing, like consulting or what have you, wasn't it mostly coursework? And so you built a bedrock of courses on your site and then 
um, how have things evolved, I guess, over the last few years yeah. with your offering? Yeah. So when I started out, I did mostly training and the online courses. I always said I don't want to be a consultant who's at a customer five days a week. Um, I family at that point, uh, at that time, uh, son was still very young. So I wanted to have at least some time with, with my family and kid. So um, I didn't want to go the, the typical independent consultant uh, route and be on the road five to six days a week. Um, and that was why I did mostly my, my online courses and the, and the training. Um, and now I'm doing a mix. Um, I'm still doing some training. I'm offering consulting and coaching services, um, but most of that online, um, which means I'm working remotely with, with other teams um, and helping them improve their, their persistence there, which was a great thing um, to have all that in place when, when the pandemic started because I was already used to that and I could tell my potential customers, look, I'm doing this for a while. It's no different than before. Um, and the, the pandemic helped moving more of this stuff online, mm. basically everything, um, which is something you you probably need to get used to and which you need to want to do. I know a lot of people uh, would prefer to to be on site and um, have face-to-face conversations with people. But um, for me, with family and, and how I like to work, it's uh, much easier to do that um, remotely. So, yeah, now, now it's a mix. It's um, doing consulting uh, live, training events with customers and the online part. Um, with the evolution of doing consulting, which I imagine is pretty lucrative, um, do you find that having the brand, having the courses, the presence, um, teed up charging premium rates versus like, let's say you had just gone off on your own and said, I consult in this, uh, was, is it a lot easier to command more money with, with all of that built up? Um, Yes, it's it's much easier, but it's much harder to sell a lot of days. So I know other independent consultants who charge a lower daily rate, but they sell several months um, in one package to a customer, mm. which works if you can do a lot of different things. Um, yeah, that's like staff augmentation. Yeah, basically. Um, I go to the customer and tell them, uh, look, I can solve this problem, and we would take, I don't know, that many days for this. Um, and there we are talking about a few days. Quite often it's, um, my standard coaching offer is four half-day workshops spread over one, maximum two months. Um, and within that time, we are able to solve their most pressing issues in their persistence layer. And I can charge nice premium on that because I'm providing something that, that others, other consultants can't provide. But I also only sold four half-day workshops. Um, so someone who's selling 100 days of, of consulting work probably makes more from one client. Um, 
but also has to work there for for 100 days. Um, so I'm happy with the situation that that I'm in, um, and I would recommend to specialize on a specific topic um, because then you are able to um, demand higher rates and. At least to me, it feels like that makes the whole situation a little bit easier. Sure. But that also means you need to be able to deliver. Um, if if you are charging a high rate and position yourself as SDS expert on that topic, you need to be able to really answer the questions. And I think I couldn't tell my customers, yeah, I get back to you in two days. I need to do some blueprint first. They expect that I know how to solve these things. Um, which makes these um, short-term engagements um, way more exhausting than um, than a normal software development job. Um, but that's okay. Sure. A lot more pressure. I can relate to that from times I did management consulting in the enterprise. <laughs> like, you don't have a lot of time to get up to speed, and you've just got to trust that you're going to be able to figure it out. Um, yeah. But, if, you know, I imagine that confidence comes with all the years of specialization and expertise. Um, do you sweat that, like, before you go in? Or are you worried you won't be able to? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I was worried about these things in the beginning and then quickly recognized, okay, um, I've built up a lot of expertise on these things just by doing all the, the teaching, um, writing, um, whatever. When I started, I had already written several dozen uh, blog posts. Um, I had been doing this kind of thing as an employee for, for several years. It was more that, that I had to learn how much I really know about this mm-hmm. uh, and then trust in myself. Um, but it was always someone who said, uh, who's, has the mindset, okay, um, if this is scary, but ignore all the the bad feelings um i'm convinced that i should be able to do that then we do that um and that has always worked out for me so far um yeah but that probably depends a little bit on on each and everyone and um everyone has to figure out for for themselves how they want to approach this but yes it's scary in the beginning um and that's totally fine so um in thinking about the people, you know, who might be interested, imagine that somebody's you six years ago or something, um, or in a similar position. Um, <clears throat> how do you think people would know if the type of business you have is right for them? Say, like, largely uh, expertise instruction-based, creating courses and then maybe doing some consulting, that model. How would somebody who's listening and thinking about that identify whether doing what you did would be a good fit or whether it's not for them? Um, I think the first question everyone should ask themselves is, do I enjoy teaching? Um, do, I, do I enjoy standing in front of uh, multiple people and explain something? Um, if I don't enjoy doing that, then this is definitely not the right thing. Um, and when thinking about that, try to ignore that uh, that you are nervous and, and that standing in front of a crowd is, is scary and everything. That's totally normal. Um, I'm 
speaking at conferences for several years now, and I'm still nervous before talk. Um, I'm not sick for two hours before my talk anymore, uh, but I'm still quite nervous. And I know other speakers uh, are in the same situation. So that's, that's just how it is. Um, but um, I quickly recognized that as soon as I started with my workshop or talk, I'm really enjoying this stuff. And, and that helps because um, it makes the whole experience easier for, for yourself and the, the audience recognizes that, that you're comfortable in, in this situation and that this is the, the stuff you want to do. Um, and the next thing that's important is um, try to find out if people understand what you are explaining. Um, mm. is, it, is it something that comes natural to you or not? Um, I don't know why, but for some reason that comes relatively natural to me. Nothing done for that. That's pure luck. That just works. I don't know why. I can't explain. Um, and if, if the same, if that's the same for you, and you want to do these kind of things, then I would recommend, yeah, go for it. Give it a try. Um, do it on the site and um, see how it goes. That's interesting because it is seemingly like this mode of instruction seems like it's uniquely easy to try versus, yeah. you know, like, I don't know, do I, do you want to like do tandem skydiving instruction? Like there's a lot of effort that goes into yeah. that vocation. Um, but uh, I think that's an interesting point. So, um, you know, do you, do you enjoy, first of all, the mode of instruction? And then secondly, does it seem to work for your audience? Yeah. And um, oh, sorry, it, go ahead. Yeah, and then both things are uh, things you can easily try. You can do that with, uh, with a YouTube video. Record a few YouTube, uh, YouTube videos. Do a live stream if you have some kind of audience. Um, submit a talk or workshop to a conference. If you haven't spoken at a conference, um, submit a talk to a local user group. Um, not 100% sure how it's with other programming languages, but in the Java space, uh, at our Java user groups, we are always happy to have new speakers. And it's quite easy to find someone who's uh, mentoring you to, to some extent. If you say, look, I've, I want to try this. I have an interesting topic. I just need some help preparing my talk. Um, it's, most uh, Java user groups have something, uh, someone who's doing that or just reach out on Twitter. Um, and you will find a few speakers who are more than willing to um, spend a few hours to, to talk with you about your talk and preparation. So um, I think we're getting into this territory a little bit, but like, let's say somebody um, does like this and does have some success with these early modes of experimentation. They're like somebody who's going to go and start a business creating info products training. Um, like what would, what advice would you offer them for getting started past just figuring out whether it works for them or not? Um, to, keep, uh, to keep that job for a while, um, make sure that it works financially um, and that you have saved enough money to um, live off that for, for a while. Um, I mean, that, that always depends a little bit on age and uh, your, um, your family situation and everything. Um, but for my wife and I, it was much easier to, to handle all the stress 
that comes with with going independent because we knew that um, we would be able to pay rent and food for a while. Um, and, and that really helps. And then, yeah, while, while you're doing it part-time, try to try to estimate how much money you actually spend and how long it would take to get your, your income from your then full-time independent business um, to a level that it's that it's sustainable and then yeah at some point just just make a decision um, either go go all in and decide to um, quit your day job and do do your independent whatever job it is and um, yeah then just run with with what you got and then try to grow to to real business or at some or if you decide that's not what you want to do then look into other employment options where you might be able to do the same thing um in my case with all the speaking um if i don't want to be um self-employed i could look at developer advocacy roads for example um where i would be paid to write blog posts and speak at conferences and stuff um which could be nice so this is kind of like um something that just popped into my head as we've been talking but <clears throat> versus when you started doing this back in 2015 or even before as you were laying the groundwork um is the landscape different than now like meaning if somebody in 2021 almost 2022 is going to go into a similar business do you feel like it's become saturated is it harder to do now than you know when you were an earlier mover with it yeah um i think it's a little bit harder than it was so i started blogging in 2013 yeah in 2013 at that point there were not a lot of blogs out there for, for java development topics um, or at least not a lot of blogs that um, brought new content on a regular basis. And that made it probably a little bit easier to get started. The whole environment now is a little bit more competitive, I would say. Um, but the software development niche is, is huge. And I think we are far from reaching any any caps there we have, i would say we still have um space for for new people in in that niche um but you need to be more intentional um more consistent and more professional uh with your overall approach um i think if you just decide to to set up some blog and maybe write an article every two to six weeks and being totally inconsistent, that will probably not, not work anymore. I mean, it, it didn't work well back in 2013, but it will definitely not work now. And um, that makes it definitely a little bit harder than it was back then. So with your business, um, what do you see the future looking like, you know, over the next five, ten years, like what are your goals? What do you see happening? Yeah. Um, 
that question is hard to answer. Things are changing incredibly fast, um, which is a really interesting thing of my, my current uh, business. Um, as I explained earlier, I'm not doing what I did in, in 2016 anymore. Well, so some things are still there, um, but the whole business has changed a lot. And we are talking about five years. Um, and within these five years, I think I did two or probably three major changes on, on what I'm offering and how I'm offering it. Um, but, but still based on, on the same brand, on the same core parts. But um, especially in the delivery, there were uh, huge changes. Um, and I did the last one um, three weeks ago uh, when I opened up my persistence hub membership, um, which is something that I think will be the model for, for the next several years. Um, so in the past, I did online courses, and they were totally self-paced. I answered questions if someone sent me an email and was supportive to my students and everything, um, but there was no real interactive part in it. Um, students were not able to, to talk with each other, or there were no live events. Um, and that now changed completely with, with the membership. Um, we are running uh, three live uh, streams a month, um, have a coding challenge uh, on, on the fourth week of the month, um, and a forum and everything. So there the focus is much more on um, having people work and learn and grow together and having the whole thing more interactive, which also makes it easier to, to include other things like uh, questions from work, like um, experts from the other experts as guest speakers and stuff like that, um, which is, I think, something that we see we'll see more and more in the in the future. More interactive parts, more things where we um, we do things as a group of people. Um, and I saw a huge shift in in interest to that, especially now during the pandemic. It was there before, mm-hmm. um, but I think a lot of us recognized over the last two years um, that not having to commute to the office is great, but sitting on our own in in some room in our flat for <laughs> eight hours a day, that sucks. Um, so um, more interactive group-oriented programs, I think, are, are the, the next big thing um, in our niche. Um, and I hope that, that I'm offering exactly that with the, with the new membership. Um, we will see. Um, in addition to that, we will, of course, still have all the, the company-specific in-house um, offerings. I think that that part will not go away. Um, so consulting and in-house workshops will definitely be a consistent part in our niche. Uh, I want to wrap and get to Q&A, but before doing yeah. that, along the lines of what you're talking about, the community and your site, um, where can folks go to see more about you, learn more about you? Um, so you can find my blog at torbenjansen.com, um, or you go to persistencehub.com to, to find the membership. Um, both you end up on, on my site with uh, the blog and ways to get in touch with me. Um, 
yeah, that's that's probably the best and easiest way. Sounds good. Um, so with that, I'll throw it open to the live Q&A before we head over to the Slack. So uh, I'm going to trust that everybody can unmute themselves to ask questions and um, throw it open. So if you have something you want to ask, feel free to unmute and um, ask a question. Sometimes it takes a minute or two. Yeah. And it also opened up the, the chat window here in the course. So if someone isn't comfortable to unmute themselves, uh, feel free to post it there. Question? Hey. Uh, Hi. Thank you for what you shared. Uh, I just started being consulting myself this year. And I have a question about, especially you mentioned that you basically prefer high ticket engagements to have a higher day rate over yeah. more days with a lower rate. Uh, but I presume that this also means that you have multiple clients or you have more clients, not just one bigger one. Uh, how do you juggle having multiple clients? Uh, I am in a similar situation and sometimes I find it a bit difficult to do context switching and say, okay, now I have to work on this client, now I have to work on this client and sometimes it gets a bit overwhelming and any advice for that case? Yeah. Um... That's a good question. Um, I think my main way to handle that is that I try to avoid having multiple different clients on the same day. Um, but that gives me um, usually a night and, and a few hours in maybe in the morning to do a contact switch, which makes it much easier to catch up on the latest emails and um, to, yeah, to basically forget about the conversations that I had with the with the previous client until I need to remember them again because I'm working with them again. But um, at least for, for that day, um, all the stuff that I discussed with the previous client is, of course, not helpful. So having a, a night or evening off in between is, is helpful. Um, besides that, yeah, it's, it's always a matter of scheduling. Um, if you have multiple clients in parallel, it can be difficult to um, keep all of them happy because well, there's no way to be in, in two courts with two clients at the same time. Um, so you somehow have to have to handle that and convince them that um, it's it's good like that. Um, and that what helps there is um, that I make it pretty obvious that. I'm highly specialized and that we will not work together for ages. This is a relatively short-term uh, engagement. We are working on a specific problem. We are solving that problem. And well, if they know that we will work for um, a day per week for the next one or two months, then they know that there are other clients. Um, and they know that it's probably not that easy to, to reschedule their day and, and stuff like that. Um, and that that helps um, because usually the client is then also hoping that I'm working with other clients um, at the same time or that, that I worked with a bunch of clients before that because that's where um, I got all the, the experience from that they are benefiting from. Okay. Thank you. 
anybody else have questions, feel free to unmute yourself. Roland, if you have another question, you're welcome to ask. <laughs> Give it a second here. Yeah. Fire up the AMA in the meantime. Whoops. Open up Slack. So anybody else um, going once, twice? I guess we can call it there then and head over to Slack. Um, Thorben, yep. thanks so much for the interview. It's been really interesting to chat. Um, we will uh, get this produced and um, up on YouTube, hopefully in the next week or so. I'll obviously keep you posted on that. Um, and yeah, thanks so much for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, really enjoyed it. Um, I will hang out in the Slack channel for a little bit. So um, if anyone has any question, um, just ask it there. Um, I will do my best to, to answer it. Perfect. Well, um, thanks, Thorben. I will talk to you relatively soon and everybody else. um, Catch you next time if you tune in for the series and uh, take care.